0: Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Lawrence Gregory. It is entitled Anonymity. I've done that, but I guess we're all entitled to a first time for something, huh? So we'll start off at the beginning. Good afternoon. Over the past years, I've had numerous messages relative to the July 4th, our American holiday, about our patriotic uh, observance of our independence, our freedom, our special standing among the nations of the earth, the story of our flag, our unique number 13, some of our songs like the Star Spangled Banner, America, God Bless America, or our mottos, in God We Trust, or God Save, or God Bless the USA, or God Bless America, and our American exceptionalism. So instead of uh, doing that today, because we've probably had a, a lot of the July 4th uh, observance and celebration these last few days and this weekend, I'm going to speak about something that is uh, increasing in neglect in our society today. Something that is very basic to our Christian way of life, to the words of Jesus, to his lifestyle and some of the examples of other biblical leaders who felt the same way. Our theme and our message today is anonymity. Now, that is doing things anonymously, nameless, privately, without others knowing it. So our first scripture portion is from the words of Jesus, very basic. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, he uses three examples and illustrations that uh, is in Christianity today and in somewhat practiced in the world today. So we want to look at these. And the first one is uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse one through three. Take heed that you do not your alms. Now this word alms is also translated in the scriptures as righteousness and it can mean giving monies or doing good deeds or doing things that are right and uh, that are godly. So we're cautioned here that we take heed when we do our righteousness or our alms before men uh, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand doeth. Now that's pretty hard, pretty basic instructions. And What Jesus is telling us is don't, when we do righteousness or good or contribute, don't be blasting it out and telling everybody, hey look what I've done, I'm somebody great and somebody important and I have gave this amount of money to the church or I gave this to a uh, charity or I've done this good deeds and I'm really important and uh, look, look to me because uh, you know this is something that uh, I deserve a lot of recognition and reward for. Well, Jesus said, do those things secretly because God will reward us openly, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And uh, this illustration here, excuse me, in verse 3, don't let your uh, left hand know what your right hand does. That's pretty hard, isn't it? That means... We don't even acknowledge to ourselves when we do something good and when we do something right and when we do a, a contribution or whatever. That means just do it privately and secretly and trust in God that he will reward us openly. Now continuing on here, that your alms may be in secret and your father which sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. So we have a promise here, we do this in secret, God knows everything, and He'll reward us openly. We don't have to go around seeking for reward and acknowledgement and uh, praise and aplomb from men. Do it privately, do it secretly, without uh, blasting out our self-importance. The second illustration that he uses here, and excuse me, I'm not sure why uh, my voice seems to be so soft today, Uh, I guess David Hope's not here, so he didn't bring some water up, but I'll, uh, I'll just go ahead and continue on here with the second illustration. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray... Enter into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. And you know Jesus elsewhere, he uh, condemned the hypocrites who for pretense, remember, make long prayers. So, uh, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not you therefore like unto them. Thank you. For your Father, let me try this. For your Father, which is in secret uh, and sees in secret, shall reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. I already read that. Be you not therefore like unto them. For your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask. And after this manner, and he gives us a, what we call the model or the Lord's Prayer. It's very simple, very basic, some, uh, about seven basic requests some praise and thanksgiving in it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, give, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Very short, very brief prayer. And it's been kind of the teaching and the history of the Church of God that in our public prayers, opening, closing, and in our prayers publicly, uh, we generally keep them very brief, uh, touching on a few points. Not as some, and we see out in the world and in some areas where there is a great, long, elaborate prayers trying to impress and ordering about God and telling him to do certain things and uh, uh, using great and important significant words, very verbose in their prayers. So we're told to just keep it basic and keep it simple and to forgive men because if we don't forgive them then uh, God won't forgive us. Then the third illustration he uses in verse 16 Moreover, when you fast Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your heart, or you anoint your head, and wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret. And your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Now, some, when they fast, you know, they put ashes on their face or they go around moaning or letting everyone uh, know about it. <coughs> I told you about uh, an example many, many years ago at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles in uh, Big Sandy, Texas. This was back probably in the 60s and uh, we had meals there in the Redwood building And since I was in the camping and then I would uh, eat my meals in the uh, cafeteria there that was uh, provided in the Redwood building. And I always remember this standing there in the line waiting as we went through the meal line and we could purchase a meal ticket before for the feast days and they would punch your day. And uh, this man from a particular state was uh, visiting with me and uh, he was telling me that uh, every Tuesday and Thursday he would fast. And it happened to be that was Thursday. A Thursday. And we were standing in meal line. And I was thinking to myself, I never said anything to him, but I was trying to reconcile his fast day with him eating. And I was wondering also at the same time, why are you telling me this? Why do I need to know about your private devotions? Because Jesus said when we do this, keep it private and keep it secret. We don't uh, tell everyone about it. Oh, sometimes, you know, <clears throat> and it's always been a recommendation, it's, it's hard to fast at work, especially if you're doing hard, physical, laborious work. But we all have an annual fast day. when we All fast. Everybody knows about it. So we do that in a public way as we observe coming together or where we're doing it privately in our dwellings. We fast on that day because God tells us to. And that's a, that's a different uh, thing than what Jesus is talking about here, of private devotional fasting. So what he's trying to tell us here is to lead a life of anonymity, of doing things anonymously, of doing things privately, quietly, with meekness and humility. And we'll, we'll see as we advance through this. Rather than trying to promote self and our importance and... Uh, you know, there's a time publicly, like I'm standing up here today speaking to you, there's a time when we have a public proclamation of the gospel. That's one thing, uh, but there's another thing of when we do things privately and personally to try to exalt the self for the ego, uh, for selfish, persons, uh, sel- selfish purposes, and uh, without trying to do those things with anonymity and with... Uh, with uh, secretness and quietness. Now, I want to look at a, uh, another biblical example. We uh, saw earlier about uh, David, a man after God's own heart, and his example in the scriptures. We know how important he was as a king and many great and mighty things he did. But let's go back to Second Samuel, the uh, 7th chapter. Second Samuel, 7th chapter. Now, David was uh, telling Nathan, you know, how he would like to build a house for God. He saw that there was a tabernacle uh, like this portrayal over here, similar, of the uh, uh, portable buildings, and uh, David lived in a beautiful uh, uh, palace, but God didn't have a big temple, a big house that he could worship in. And so he was proposing to do this, but then God came to Nathan and then Nathan to David and told him here in uh, beginning in verse 18 and 19 that uh, David, let me go back to verse uh, 16, uh, read here David's uh, communication with God. In your house, this is God to David, in your kingdom, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So God was telling David that he didn't want or need a house himself, but he was going to make of David an everlasting kingdom and an everlasting house that would endure forever. And so beginning in verse 18, Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, And he said, now, understand there wasn't a temple. There was just a tabernacle. And so was, and it's, where it's not told to us, we don't know. We just have to speculate. Either David went into the tabernacle, into the uh, uh, holy place there and sat down without a chair, just, you know, like the custom is, uh, fold up your knees and squat on the floor and sit down. And... uh, we generally have uh, recommended and the scriptures show many different positions of prayer. Standing, sitting, it's like in uh, church services here. When we pray or we pray together like we just had prayer earlier, uh, opening and then for the anointings, we stay seated rather than getting down and kneeling and, uh, uh, or standing with our hands uplifted. There are times when those different positions of lifted hands or standing or hanging upside down or walking in the mall or uh, eating a meal or whatever, when you have prayer in different uh, positions. So uh, David is not being disrespectful, but in the same time, and I, you know, I, I'm going to say this, I've said this before, it's been a, quite a while since I've said this, but uh, I'm saying this for the speakers and for the congregation, sometimes... You might look over there and you see me with my eyes closed or with my head bending over. I'm not sleeping. What I'm doing is I'm focusing on what is being said. I'm listening carefully. Uh, so is Larry. So is Larry. Okay, <laughs> Larry. Okay. And that's the same thing. When I look out here and I see you with your head down or your eyes closed, I'm not going to judge you and say you're sleeping. Might do that, wake you up, but uh, uh, don't we? We do that, don't we? We have different ways that we can focus to shut out and blank out. Now, if you're driving your car, I don't recommend that, but uh, you know, there's a time in, uh, in prayer when we have these different uh, positions. So, notice here what David is doing respectfully. He sits before God and uh, he said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, but you've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? So David, the first thing he's acknowledging in his meekness, his humility, his uh, you might say his anonymity uh, because he did things as a king and he publicly and, you know, he had uh, mighty things that he had done, the scriptures tell us, but in his own attitude, he was a man after God's own heart. He thought very little of himself and he was amazed that God was going to make of him uh, an everlasting house and a kingdom and even from that we know David believed and saw that the Messiah would come, the Christ. He is of the royal house of Judah. He is of the royal family and uh, a a precursor of Jesus Christ who was to come out of his descendants. And so he was very much uh, amazed that God would look down. And so here's the thing uh, we have to ask ourselves. How do we feel about ourselves? Are we somebody mighty and important and great? Are we doing something great and mighty and important uh, in this life? Or... Do we think of ourselves in a lowly, meek way before God that, he, that we're sometimes surprised that he's given us such opportunities and blessed us in so many ways that uh, we are amazed. Now, this last phrase here, and is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And this word in the English, the word manner, is also translated law or Torah. And so he, he's asking a question here, is this, what he's saying is this. Is, is, is this the manner, is this the way you look at man, God? Is this the way you treat man? Uh, if he's humble and meek and lowly, then you'll exalt him? If he does things quietly and privately and secretly, then you'll bless him openly? Is this the manner of man? Or it could be, uh, he's asking, is this the manner of man? Is this the way men do with each other? Do we treat other people like this, uh, if they're, uh, if they're uh, meek and lowly and quiet and do things privately, do we honor and respect that? Or uh, do we take a contrary opinion and are we impressed with men with their greatness and things? So uh, a lot of this is a little bit of uh, confusion in our English from the Hebrew and it causes us to really think about this and ask, what is he saying here? Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Is this, is this the way you want man to be? Like I am, lowly and meek. And you select him as a very uh, quiet and a private person to exalt him. Generally, isn't that the way God does? Generally, Now, he can. He can take anybody. He can take a mighty person. He can take a powerful person. He can take a king or a ruler and humble them. Or he can take the lowly. But it, the scriptures in, in the New Testament tell us not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And so people look and say, well, and we have to look at ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, God, why have you chosen me? I'm nobody. I'm just a nothing. Nothing. I'm, I'm a, I've been a great sinner or a big sinner or, or I've done a lot of mistakes or I've done a lot of things wrong. Why, why did you choose me, God? And so we're amazed at that. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to have that attitude and to have that uh, feeling. Now, there's another example and we, uh, we'll just look here briefly in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus' example. And let's go first to Matthew the 27th chapter here. We'll just look at a couple of uh, illustrations from his life. Matthew, the 27th chapter, in verse um, 12 through 14, as uh, Jesus stood before the governor, and uh, he asked him in verse 11, Are you the king of the Jews? This wasn't in my notes, but Jesus said, uh, you say it. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hear you not how many things they witness against you? And he answered him, never a word, insomuch so much that the governor marveled greatly. And then uh, back up to chapter 26, verse 63. But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. Then Jesus answered and spoke to him in verse uh, 64. So there's a time, isn't there, to keep silent and a time to speak. There's a time to defend and there's a time to not. And we see this, uh, and I won't go through all the illustrations, but we see a lot of this in the life of the Apostle Paul where he was, uh, had to answer to defend his apostleship and to explain the Christian belief and to explain the Church of God. And other times we see there are great periods of silence and great periods when we know very little or hardly anything about what Paul was doing because the Bible is silent about uh, what he was doing and functioning in his apostleship and in his ministry. I might ask you this and ask ourselves. Have we ever given credit to someone else that has um, taken what we've done or said to themselves and ignored us? I mean, have we done something and then somebody else take the credit for it? We all have experienced that, haven't we? We've done something maybe privately or we've done something secretly or somebody else in will said, hey, I did that or that was my idea or look what I've accomplished then we have a choice. We can either quietly say nothing, privately, just leave it in God's hands and go about and go on. All the time, people are thinking that this person deserves all the credit and the good, whereas in reality, we did it. Or sometimes a person will say, you know, defend himself. That was my idea, or I did that. That's a judgment call. That's something that we uh, have to... uh, think of and the way, and and I'm not trying to say right or wrong, there's a time to, looks like when Jesus did, when he kept quiet, and then when he was adjured or he had to defend his messiahship, then he answered. When he was commanded by the priest in the name of God to answer, then he responded. And so the Apostle Paul, there were times when he was presented options by the uh, ruling uh, Roman Emperor or when he had to give an answer. And there were times when he had to defend his apostleship. And so sometimes we just let things pass. Sometimes we have to defend ourselves. So that's a judgment call. Now, um, I want to look at a a few scriptures uh, about um, some of the things that uh, we would likened to quietness or anonymity that's in the land and as, a, as an older person and a traditionalist um, I'm going to say this and maybe some of you older people might understand with me. I have a hard time understanding some of the modern music. I mean the loud clamorous words. I can't even understand the words, the way they're Way they're shouting and yelling, and all the gyrations that people are going through to attract attention to themselves. Their gaga or goo goo dress, or whatever it is, uh, uh, gaga, I think it is, isn't it? Gaga. And some of, the, some of the men and some of the things they're going through are drawing attention to themselves. I was trying to watch a little bit of the um, Memorial Day uh, weekend presentation from the Washington Mall. And I finally just shut the TV off because I, I, just, I just couldn't take any more of some of that. And um, fortunately, my neighbors, both side of me, with a bunch of kids and family, they had a lot of, they spent a lot of money on their fireworks till about midnight, blowing, blowing all that money up. And I was thinking, there's a lot of dollars just <laughs> being burned up, but you know. We, when we were younger and families, you know, we participated in that and our president said that this, we should celebrate the 4th of July with a lot of fireworks and parades and, and you know, rejoice in our freedoms that we have in America, not in the revolt or rebellion or war. We're not uplifting that, but, but our freedoms and our blessings, the great exceptionalism that we have in America. Isn't that wonderful? That's why so much of the world wants to come here because of who we are and what we have and um, we could go into, a lot of that, but uh, there's so much uh, loud, clamorous, noisy violence going on around the world, not just in, not just in modern music, but uh, throughout the world. And many people are longing for the quiet days and the good days of uh, quietness, especially, when we read the scriptures, we look at the promises of God that are ahead. Look at uh, some of the scriptures in the Old Testament back in Jeremiah, 30th chapter. And this has to do with the uh, New Covenant blessings. And I won't read um, all of this, but uh, a number of verses that we would be good to look at. Jeremiah, the 30th chapter. First, verse uh, 1 through 4 by way of introduction. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write you all of these words that I have spoken unto you in a book. For lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and Judah, saith the Lord. When he says, I'll bring again the captivity, he means I'll bring out from, is what he's saying, I'm going to release them from captivity. They're going to go into captivity because of sin, but I'm going to bring them out of it. The days coming when they're going to be coming out of captivity, I'll cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And uh, then in, uh, including verse 4, these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Now skip down to uh, verse 7. Alas, he's talking about the day that is ahead, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but you shall be saved out of it. So there's coming a time when there's going to be a difficulty, a great tribulation, a time of captivity, a time ahead. So he's prophesying of a rough time that's ahead in the future for Israel and Judah, but they're going to be saved out of it. For it will come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke, the enemy's yoke, from off your neck, And will burst your bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will resurrect or raise up unto them. Therefore fear you not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and quiet, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. So there's a time coming when, ahead of us, there's going to be a time of quiet. Right now, there's so much talk about war and confusion of uh, whether we should get involved overseas or not, or uh, we've got armies, uh, our American armies in about 60 countries around this world uh, that we're supporting and, and defending and keeping them Uh, at a great enormous cost, and yet we're neglecting some of the benefits for them. So Abraham Lincoln said, you know, we need to provide for our uh, uh, veterans and our widows of the the veterans, but looks like, you know, that's just pick and choose, and we've got to uh, away from a lot of that uh, uh, benefits that our soldiers are entitled to because of the things that they're doing for our benefit. But that's, that's another, another story, another subject here. Of a future time that Jeremiah was talking about. A time that's ahead of quietness. In Isaiah, back to the 14th chapter. Isaiah 14, 1 and 7. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land, and their strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And verse 7, the whole earth is at rest, and is quiet. They break forth into singing. So Isaiah, along with Jeremiah and many others, are talking about the millennial time, the time that's ahead when there's not going to be war and no violence, and it's going to be quiet and peace and rest. You know, a person that works hard, they have a lot of stresses, a lot of difficulty, then they get a chance to rest and to have some quiet time. I know Reggie was telling me earlier that he, he gets up early in the morning so that he can have some quiet time before it gets noisy. And uh, about midnight, you know, I was was glad when they ran out of money or firecrackers or something because (laughs) finally, and as much as we enjoy the celebration of July 4th, as much as we like to hear this and see all the sparklers and the firecrackers go off, isn't it good to have some quiet and peace? And this world is looking and yearning for that. Now, in uh, Isaiah, let's go on to the 32nd chapter here. And uh, verse 15 through 19. We have to interrupt here. In the, so many descriptions of uh, millennial times. And difficulties. Of uh, trauma that's ahead before that. You know we have to go through hell on earth. We have to go through the holocaust. There's a terrible time we call Jacob's uh, trouble. That we have to go through before we get into that. But uh, in verse um, 15, Isaiah 32, 15 through 19. And he's talking about uh, all the things that we're going to be experiencing until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness be a fruitful field and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And... The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail coming down on the forests, and the city shall be low in a low place, blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth hither the feet of the ox and the ass. And so look here in verse 17 what he's explaining is the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. Now people are looking for peace. And so these things lead into one another and the fruits of righteousness of doing good is quietness and peace and rest. The fruit, the end result of unrighteousness is clamorous violence and wild and war and egotism and vanity and just the, exop- just the opposite of what God says is the fruit of righteousness is peace and quietness and that's something that this world is looking for but unfortunately is not uh, able to see it right now but is longing for it and is yearning for it. Now we have uh, some scriptures in the New Testament here. I'd like to go to uh, change the pace just a little bit to 1 Thessalonians, the uh, 4th chapter. 1 Thessalonians, 4th chapter, verse 11 and 12. Just breaking into a thought here. And uh, from the the previous sentence, actually verse uh, 10 is the beginning of the sentence. And indeed you do it Toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you brethren. That you increase more and more. Increase in what way. And that you study to be quiet. And to do your own business. And to work with your own hands. As we command you. That you may walk honestly toward them that are without. And that you may have lack of nothing. So study to be quiet. How can we do that? How can we study to be quiet and to examine our life where we can be meek and lowly or we can be filled with ego and vanity and expressive and, you know, uh, I'm going to go back to uh, music just a little bit or service or ministry or doing righteousness or alms or anything. Don't you, don't you appreciate someone that is... Uh, talented that can uh, sing or play an instrument or speak or do whatever, and they can just do it in a manner that's uh, uh, appreciated and humble and meek and lowly? Or do you like somebody that is just a show off? You know, they want to get up there and shout and yell and scream or play loud or do it all for self or the way they dress or their attire. Which Which way do we choose? Do we like the quiet, expressing The voice is a beautiful instrument. Don't you love to have and to hear somebody sing beautifully? And to be able to sing the Star Spangled Banner? But, oh, it just grates on me when I hear somebody sing the Star Spangled Banner and they want to put their own interpretation. Remember? Huh? They want to spoof it up or, or add something or change it so that it's different and it's unrecognizable. What they're doing is showing off. So. Parents, isn't it good that we teach our children to be humble and meek and lowly and do things quietly and privately and not be loud and clamorous and vain and if you've got a talent, to share that talent? There's a time when you know a person can sing or play an instrument or whatever or, or whatever they do, but it's their motive and their attitude, how they do it. And we pick up on that, don't we? You know what I'm talking about. I can see shaking of heads and nodding of heads and agreement and smiles. And and, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can talk to you more privately (laughs) later and explain it to you more clearly. And parents, we need to explain it to our children so that they do things quietly and secretly and privately. And if they have a talent, express it to the glory of God. See, all of this... What I'm doing now is not for myself. It's to glorify God. It's to bring our attention to Jesus Christ, to the kingdom of God, to help us all be better and improved. That's a, that's a public ministry and a public singing and a public expression of some talent is to help us all and encourage and inspire and to give glory to God rather than taking the glory for themselves. You know what I'm saying. That's enough, that's enough of that. Uh, in Second Thessalonians the third chapter, and uh, also in verse 11 and 12. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. This is what Paul was saying and the scriptures were saying and God is saying to us that we work with quietness and we eat our own bread, we work, we work, we own, we earn our own way but we're not busybodies involving ourselves in other things. Now, I know that... Um, there's going on today in the political realm a lot of, uh, a lot of bad things in America. And uh, there is uh, a choice that we have. We can get all involved and become militant and uh, painter signs and become um, uh, demonstrators. Or we can dwell quietly in the land and pray to God and look to him. And if we do something, if we call the president or we call our congressman or we do it privately, and secretly, we can do those things. But God hasn't called the church to be a militant church. you remember how uh, you've read in history about Constantine, Roman emperor in uh, the 3rd century? And in his battles, uh, he supposedly saw had a vision. And he saw a cross. And this happened to be an X that he saw rather than the uh, Egyptian or Babylonian cross with a T or the double T or, or the T on the top. But he saw a vision and the words were, by this sign shall you conquer. And so he took it upon himself in a militant way to force Christianity, Roman Catholicism, Christianity, on the world. And he even moved his headquarters to the eastern realm, split the, uh, the Roman Empire in the east and west and... Developed Istanbul or, or Constantinople, he called it after, him, after himself. He called the city, named it after himself. That tells you a little bit about him and who he was. And They get so carried away and he murdered some of his own family members to enrich his right to supposedly the throne of uh, the Roman Empire. And you can read about some of those uh, Roman emperors and, and uh, other... Uh, religious leaders of that uh, area down through the ages in the, in the history, but he was a militant, fighting, forcing the Christian religion, his interpretation, on the rest of the world, on the Eastern, on the, on the world that they knew then as the world, the Roman Empire, and East Asia. And, and uh, you can read more of that about the Byzantine Empire and the Roman Empire and their clashes and their history down through the ages. Uh, Let's go on to uh, 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy 1 and 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, brief short prayers, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not saying to pray for all of these leaders and people in authority, that they'll be blessed and continue in their evil and their unrighteousness and have good in their life. No, he said pray for all of them that the effect will be that we in the church will, that we may, ha- may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so, we can pray for the leaders of our nation that the laws that they pass, and they, you hear a lot about the uh, do-nothing Congress, and some people say, I'm glad when they do nothing, because then they're not passing laws to make it hard on us. And others say, they ought to be a do-something Congress. (laughs) They ought to do something that's right and good rather than just for themselves. You know, every one of them up there are millionaires making a million dollars in benefits and wages and salaries of a couple hundred thousand and speaking and all the benefits that they have and can retire after a few years of service. And uh, they forget, haven't they? A lot of them, and we can get into a great political discussion here about how they've forgotten the American citizen our purpose and our exceptionalism and who and what and um, the balance in all of that. And we could get carried away and get our soapbox and get on it and start uh, speaking against the government and then start demonstrating and making our signs and taking our guns and try to overthrow it. That's not what we do. What we do is, first of all, that we pray for We pray for our leaders, pray for our nation, that we in the church of God can have freedom to do and to expand. You know, they're making laws now that are making it more and more and more difficult for a church to uh, function. And uh, I'm just going to leave that. uh, There's so many other things that can be said. But 1 Peter, the third chapter. 1 Peter, the third chapter. Here again, verse uh, 1 through 4. Likewise, you wives. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You knew this was coming, the women. Beat up on the women day. Nobody's laughing, so you're taking it serious. Okay, we'll keep it serious. Likewise, you wives. Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So there's good there, benefit for the, for the women to lead into the conversion of the, of the men. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear. Now, uh, this word conversation also can be translated "conduct or uh, attitude or appearance or, or just their lifestyle. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning, of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man that is, the personality, the hidden man. The, and we're talking to women now, the hidden personality of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, women are encouraged here to be uh, respectful, to be submissive, to have this personality of a meek and quiet spirit. But we see so much sometimes... uh, contradicting this of a loud, clamorous, boastful, crass, domineering. We could go on and on and on and describe some of the attitude of some of the women today. And this is not just me, Lawrence Gregory. I didn't just pick this out. There's so many scriptures and so much direction for, from God, for the women, as well as for the men, as well as for children, as well as young men, as well as old men, uh, as well as for the ministry, as well as for the deacons, as well as for women that are serving in the churches. so much that we can't go on into today. But here is direct scriptures of commending a woman for having these qualities of a meek and quiet. And so all women, Christian women, could ask themselves, what am I like? Am I bossy? Am I loud, clamorous? Am I disobedient? Or am I respectful and quiet and submissive and of a meek and a lowly spirit? Now, I know women have great intelligence. And women can be very knowledgeable of the scriptures of God. And they can have great ability. But God has put certain constraints hasn't he? On the wife and on the women, and especially in the New Testament. And it's God's doing, because he knows why, and he knows a lot of parameters that we're not going into right now. So women have to ask themselves this, am I stepping out of the realm of what God wanted me to do and what he wanted me to be? Uh, Am I being presumptuous? Am I being in a place or doing things that God has not given me permission or assigned me to do, or am I as a woman, as a wife, serving God and looking to Him and glorifying Him in my personality, my attitude and my conduct and my dress and my demeanor and, and the things that I'm wearing, and, or is my lifestyle, the things that I do and say and express myself, is that contrary to what God is uh, expecting us to uh, say? now? I have just uh, a few more scriptures here. Uh, Let's go to... uh, You know, maybe I can do this real quick here. Psalm 3520, I think I got started later and and, uh, we'll take just a a few minutes here. Let's go back to Psalm 3520. Maybe I can just read a few of these closing scriptures. And... uh, Few comments. <clears throat> Psalm thirty-five, twenty. Uh, he's contra- contrasting here the uh, hypocritical mockers in the way of uh, of their evil, for they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. So there are folks who are dwelling quietly in the land, as God encourages us to do. And yet there are people who are trying to overthrow that, who are deceitful, who are cunning, who are evil, who are wicked, who are attacking that, who are devising uh, things against our uh, way of of life. And in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, back to Isaiah 30. Got just a a few more verses here, but I want to read these because I've got, (laughs) got them written down. Isaiah 30. Verse uh, 15. And uh, this is a this is, uh, very popular, important verse. We even have it in one of our songs. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And yet, you would not, they wouldn't, they didn't want to, uh, accept the quietness and the confidence of God but uh, he said that uh, those that would wait on him and wait on his judgment and would be blessed. All those people that are uh, waiting on God and are dwelling quietly with confidence. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse 17 it says that the words of wise are heard in quiet more than the words of fools. And this is true isn't it? We tend to listen to a quiet, knowledgeable, wise person more than a loud, clamorous, ego-driven, vain person that is uh, uh, disruptive and violent in their ways. And that, uh, in Psalm 4, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 16 and Proverbs 17:1, tells us that it's better to have a little bit with quietness than a whole lot with violence and evil. And so a poor man that has a little bit but is quiet and godly and righteous is so much better than an evil person who has a lot and is loud and clamorous and ego-driven and uh, has forgotten some of the basic instructions of uh, God through his word. Well, in closing, I'll just say this. As my voice, I don't know why, uh, like I said, I don't know why it's so soft today, And, and uh, but it's time to finish, I guess. Let's do as Jesus said, and as much as possible, let's try to do things privately, secretly, with anonymity, looking to God for open reward and blessings on the things that we're doing anonymously.